0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America, NA, member FDSE.
1: This is the unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. This is unsportsmanlike with Chris Canty, Evan Cohen, and Michelle Smallman.
2: Going
1: Somebody who could shed some light
3: on all of this is somebody that served as the offensive coordinator for Bill Belichick for many years, Charlie Weiss.
4: Is this it from him, coaching-wise, or do no. you see him coaching somewhere else in 2024?
5: I don't, see, I don't see any way he's done. You know, the fire's still there. You, you don't think that people
3: are going to be lining up to get Bill Belichick? Bill Belichick is no longer the coach of the New England Patriots. Nick Saban is no longer the coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Pete Carroll is no longer the coach of the Seattle Seahawks. We are unsportsmanlike. Presented by Progressive Insurance. At Progressive, they're making things even easier. They'll help you bundle your home and car insurance together so you can save on both. Learn more at Progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE.
4: I'm just curious. I'm just going to float this question out there. and Don't kill me. I'm just going to say it. Are those three of the four coaches on the Mount Rushmore of coaches in the 2000s?
3: Urban Meyer has to be on there. People hate him. I get it, but he has to be on there.
6: Well, what, what, you have two undisputed. Pete Carroll won.
4: Two and natties, had, and he's got a yeah. Super Bowl. He, so, and
6: he was one play away from winning two.
4: Yeah, like... So he's... Tomlin. Uh, I mean, but the, you... I mean... Candidates. Pete, Pete Carroll has got three championships.
3: Yeah.
4: Uh, I mean, Saban's got seven championships. Nathaniel and, and Belichick has six championships. I mean, I'm just asking a question. No, that's a good... Like, one. if you're going with the, two, the, the Mount Rushmore of coaches in the 2000s in football... Those are three or the four guys and they just all got removed from their positions in a matter of 24 hours, less than 24 hours.
6: Uh, to stick with your history theme. This is a day for the history books. Sports is never going to be the same for us as consumers and as fans. When the greatest football coach in college and Nick Saban walks away and the greatest football coach in, in the NFL and Bill Belichick walks away. These are landscape shifting moves. Like, I just, I I feel like I don't even have the proper words to properly articulate how wild it is that these two people are not going to be in their jobs anymore and that it happened in 24 hours.
4: And here's the other thing, Smalls. Two of the three still want to coach. Yes. (laughs) like Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick, let it be known. We still want to coach. You know, so that that is—I mean, that is—but
6: this is historic. It's an historic. It's historic.
4: Day. That's the best way to put it. So
3: the newsy part of this is, I sit here in my cut-off shirt for those watching on ESPN, you and my uh, my hat here to try. Yeah, I'm trying to get Belichick and I. I mean, he's the greatest coach of all time. I got to pay tribute to Coach Belichick today. And I, I
6: love how you have the gray T-shirt under too. That really gives Not it a planned. little extra something. Not a little planned. a full grow fit, if you
5: will.
3: Oh, a gray outfit. Yeah, got it. Um, <laughs> The new, so basically, Belichick and the Patriots have mutually agreed to part ways. What that means, we're going to find out at noon Eastern time. That press conference will take place in Foxboro. Where that means New England goes, we've heard the rumors of Gerard Mayo on their staff, former player, now a defensive coach. We've heard the rumors of Mike Vrabel, of course, a former player and Titans coach. And we've heard Brian Flora as defensive coordinator in Minnesota, who obviously was part of the Patriots staff for a long period of time. Where Belichick goes, the rumors basically now consist of Atlanta, which has been rumored, an organization led by Arthur Blank, the owner of that team, Where's the connection? Where's the obvious connection? Scott Pioli, Thomas Dimitrov, two guys that worked for Belichick forever. We're running that organization for a long period of time. Easy connect without having to go, you know, too far there. As well as our very own Dan Graziano, uh, Aaron Rodgers' PR guy, who said uh, that Was- the Washington huh. Commanders also could be in the-, the mix as well. They, we know, have a lot of money. They're trying to change the culture. Bob Myers is helping out with that search. There, he is someone that comes from the Warriors' level of you know dynasty, etc. That we've seen over the course of time. So that plus essentially- Bill Belichick
4: went to high school in Annapolis, Maryland. Yep. Yeah, yeah. L-
6: location. Yeah. He also obviously is such a history guide to be the one to come in. and and revitalize that franchise. It's a
4: flagship franchise in the NFL.
6: That probably matters to him. And now yeah. that you have seemingly good ownership in place, they're bringing in the right minds to help run this thing and to identify this person. I see that as a very attractive landing spot. for Franchise
4: relocated from Boston. Maybe the head coach relocates from mm. Boston, mm. too. Go to the commanders. Just saying. Interesting.
6: Can so, you see him there? That just feels like such a natural fit for
3: him. Mm-hmm. In Atlanta, I'm. my mind is starting to go to Atlanta a little bit. It seems like it, it's ripe for the taking. And th- the only thing about why... Washington. That I wonder if he looks at is there are there too many cooks in the kitchen? I mean, you have Josh Harris, the owner. You have Bob Myers. You have Rick Spielman. They also have a president and a general manager. There's like a lot of people there.
6: Magic Johnson's in the Magic mix.
3: Johnson's in. The, it seems like
4: too much. Well, well they're interviewing general managers though.
3: Don't they have one? Martin Mayhew was already there. Yeah, but
4: they're interviewing other general managers. I I know for a fact that's happening. Got it. I know for a fact that's happening. But don't
6: don't you think, though, that those people, if they were to bring in Bill Belichick, would understand that it's not just any head coach they're bringing in, that he has a certain level of gravitas that is required with bringing him in and giving him this position? I mean, not that he would not be able to be collaborative with other people. He said that at his end-of-season press conference that he's certainly open to that. But I don't think that... Bob Myers is going to bring in Bill Belichick and expect him to be just like everybody else.
3: Understood. But I, I think there needs to be a moment for us. And we're going to get to the calls here on the Dr. Pepper call online at eight 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 eight, say ESPN in a second. But I think there needs to be a moment of, and we don't do this in sports talk radio. Like I am, I am the captain of complaining, right? I'll own that. But there needs to be a moment where we take a step back and kind of look at this and say, This was so fortunate for us as sports fans to be a part of these eras of sports where you have Belichick with the Patriots. You have Saban with Alabama, where they're two of the most polarizing figures in terms of opinions. Nobody's debating greatest of all time. We know that they're in that conversation if you don't already think that. But I think there needs to be that moment of this was so awesome for us as consumers to live through this. Mm -hmm. And you think about our ESPN radio lineup, there are people that love the Pats, the people that hate the Pats, love Alabama, hate Alabama, I get it, but they gave us stuff every single year to talk about, every single week to talk about coaching moves, player movements. Could they be better than this guy? Could that guy be better than whatever it may be? We are all fortunate to have lived through this era of sports because these are two of the most dominant programs at the biggest sport in our country. And these two guys who are best of friends in Saban and Belichick dating back to their days together um, with the Cleveland Browns Navy before then. Thank you to both of them because we our jobs are better because of those two guys, love them or hate them. We never take that moment of appreciation. We complain about everything. Again, captain of the complaining, but thank you to both of them.
6: Yeah, we, we love sports because we love greatness. And these two are the personification of greatness. They quite literally set a different standard at both levels, at the collegiate level and at the professional level. And I don't think we're ever going to see anyone like them on either level based on how the sports have changed. And I think it is really important to acknowledge that we're living through a time where we're watching greatness that will be unmatched,
1: mm-hmm.
6: and it's a sad day that both of these guys are out for different reasons because it is the end of an era.
3: 888 8, say ESPN is your telephone number to join the show. Eddie in Boston watching on ESPN 2 reacting to Belichick out, Sabin out, Carol out. Remarkable, what's up, Eddie?
5: Hey, what's going on, brother? I just I'm so against. Belichick being his greatest coach, as you keep saying, as um, CC keeps saying, I don't think he's a good coach at all. Oh You're God. forgetting about the years in Cleveland, the year and two games prior to Brady playing, and the years after he kicked Brady out the door. I don't personally believe a great coach is only great when you have the greatest player or the greatest players of all time. You keep saying that put him put him on a put him on a team. With good players, he's gonna ruin it. What makes you think oh that God. what he does, his culture is a good culture? Yes, he can coach defense, but every coach in the league is good on one side of the ball or another. He's not what you think he is. He's a charlatan, a lie. He's a what? He's come not. on,
4: Eddie, 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 come on, bro, come on, bro. Like we can't, we can't do that. The, the Bill Belichick slander. We're not here for it today. You can say that he's had the greatest quarterback of all time, but he had to develop said quarterback. Tom Brady was a six-round draft pick. Pick 199. Like he had to grow into being the greatest quarterback of all time and Bill Belichick, fostered an environment and created a culture that allowed him to do it. So whether you think he was riding Tom Brady's coattails or not, he helped to, be- to develop Tom Brady. So you have to give him credit or at least de- identify Tom Brady. So you have to give him credit. There is no world where you can acknowledge Tom Brady as being the greatest quarterback of all time without simultaneously saying Bill Belichick's greatness allowed Tom to become who he is today.
6: Yes, 100%. I don't agree with Eddie's assessment, but he did just spark a thought in my mind. We are assuming that Bill Belichick is going to go to another destination, hopefully one that's a little turnkey ready for him to win now, and that he's just going to have success. We just assume that because of the resume that he's going to have success. What if he goes somewhere else, guys, and he doesn't? Not that the legacy will really be altered because you can't take away everything he did in New England. But I do wonder how the perception is going to be if he goes somewhere else and they're not better and they don't win.
4: Here's why it won't change for me. I actually had a chance to play against it across a couple of different teams. No, three different teams, actually. All of the teams I played for, we played against them. And I will say this. The things that Bill Belichick would do, the in-game adjustments, the play calling, the schemes I've never seen before in the NFL – like, I'd go back to the divisional round game. I was on the Baltimore Ravens, and we were in Foxborough. And Bill Belichick and the Patriots are down by double digits. I want to say they had two 14-point deficits at different points in that game. And they came out with four offensive linemen, and they had six skill position players and the quarterback. And it was this eligible, ineligible receiver scheme. He did it better than Dan Campbell. Because he told the (laughs) officials before it happened, he did it in the context of a no-huddle offense. Before we even knew it, we were down by three in that game. We were up by two touchdowns. We ended up being down by three before we figured out what had hit us. Mm. Like, that was just one example. The 2007 Dallas Cowboys, the most talented team I had ever played on. I mean, we had 13 Pro Bowlers that year, for God's sakes. They came into Texas Stadium and ran roughshod over us. I mean, in that instance, I mean, with the New York Giants now, we got the best of them. All in the right, Super- move on from We got one. the best of them in the yeah, Super Bowl. Going. But I'm just saying, like, it, it took a Hall of Fame quarterback in order for us to have a chance to beat him in the biggest moment. And I, I guess that's the part where people talk about Bill Belichick and say he's overrated at a co- as a coach. And I'm like, in what world? From a tactician standpoint, from an X's and O standpoint, from being able to. Put his personnel in positions to do things that they do best. There has been nobody better in the National Football League. I think back to that Super Bowl against the Buffalo Bills, where he comes out and essentially two
3: defensive linemen, two
4: defensive linemen, and this he is plays with the Giants. He, the defensive play, he plays nickel and dime defense all game long. and says Thurman Thomas have a day. We ain't gonna let Jim Kelly in the passing game beat us. And the New York Giants end up winning that Super Bowl because of that game plan. And everybody on that staff, Parcells included, acknowledged that. So miss me with the Bill Belichick as a charlatan or overrated as a coach. You're out of your damn mind.
3: I'll guarantee it right now make the playoffs regardless of what team he's on next year.
4: How much, how
6: much will you put in the jar if you do You name it.
3: Name it. He's going to be in the playoffs next year. He is going to be in the playoffs next year. I want to point out one other sneaky thing about Belichick in terms of preparation He's been ready for this moment, I think, all year. If you take a look at the Patriots and the guys that you would deem to be really good players, many of them were contract eligible, eligible for extension free agency. None of them were extended. Not Michael Owenu, not Kyle Duggar, not Jabril Peppers, not any of the guys that you would actually want on your team. None of them were extended. Hmm. He's been ready for this. They're going to come with him, some of these guys. All right, somehow, some way. There's another story that is as big as Bill Belichick being out. Nick Saban is out at Alabama. Marty Smith, Marty Party will join us coming up. But first, CC has this from Granger for the
4: ones who get it done. Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply.
1: This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. Evan Canty and Michelle are Unsportsmanlike.
2: According to Chris
1: Lowe, Nick Saban, Alabama head coach, has just informed his team he is retiring from college football.
7: For college football, it's one of those days I think we'll probably all remember.
4: I'm so in shock right now, I can't, I can't even think.
7: There are a lot of great coaches and there are a lot of great resumes and all of them are vying
5: for second place behind the seat. I don't want to act like this is the end of the world, but in college football, this is as close as you can get.
3: I don't know how it's possible, but it feels like in the moment, Nick Saban retiring is the second biggest story in sports. How is that humanly possible? It's probably 1A and 1B. We are on you here on ESPN Radio. If you're just tuning in. Yeah, Pete Carroll reti- got fired yesterday. Nah, eh, whatever. That's kind of disrespectful yeah, to Pete, isn't it? Right, like, uh, uh, okay, by the way, we'll leave that to the side. He's only won three
1: titles. Nick okay.
3: Saban, the greatest college football coach of all time, retired. And we learned today that Bill Belichick is going to be out in New England. Joining us now, there is nobody better at what they do than this guy, Marty Smith, co-host Marty and McGee, here on ESPN Radio. R- great reporter, has covered college football Alabama forever, and joins us now Marty, tell us about the who with Nick Saban, not the what. We all know the what. You know the who. Who is Nick Saban?
7: He is. First of all, good morning, my friends. Thank you for having me. Um, He is someone who is so personally dedicated to the lessons that he preaches to those in his stead that those lessons are thereby undeniable to everyone in his sphere and beyond. I've never been around anyone who, you know, there's a lot of people who will tell you that they're dedicated. There's a lot of people who will try to bring other people with them in a leadership capacity based on those words. But with Saban, it was actions, it was the intersection of action and words, and he's done it in so many different iterations of college football and with so many amazing players that there's just I mean I just heard the rejoin there uh everyone who says he's the greatest of all time is right to me it's undeniable and indisputable and as someone who can sit here and say he changed my life and rewrote my daily walk through conversations both professionally and personally um I don't want to say I'm surprised that he made this decision, but I am shocked because it actually happened. The narrative that it was coming had continued to sort of grow and get a bit louder over the past month or six weeks. And he seemed to be relishing where his feet are more than ever. Coach Saban's always been an on to the next. I don't care if I won. I don't care if I lost. It's all about the next play, but His emotional entrenchment in where he was in a certain moment was more readily obvious to me over the last maybe month or six weeks than I had experienced in some time.
4: Marty, where do we even begin when we contextualize what Nick Saban's 17-year run at Alabama was, what he's meant to that university, what he's meant to college football as a whole over the last two and a half decades? He rewrote
7: it. Uh, there's no no doubt about that. Um, I, the, the standard of excellence, we hear about the Bama standard, and some people that aren't Bama fans roll their eyes at that, but it's a very true thing. Because if you aren't willing to meet that which he demands, you're not going to be there. And that is players, coaches, staff, everybody. Administration, because he does live it every day. And I remember Chris... <laughs> I remember talking to Nick. Uh, pardon me, to Lane Kiffin, in my most recent book that, that came out the first of October, and and he was talking about every single Friday before they left the facility, Coach Saban looked at the team, and he said, "Look, we make hundreds of decisions every single day that comes down to two questions. Number one, there's something I know I'm supposed to do, but I really don't want to do. Do you do it?" And number two, there's something over there that I know I'm not supposed to do, but I really want to do. Do you do it? And coach lived that. He lived doing what you're supposed to do every single second and every single decision of every day. And that permeates the players. And and look when you send nearly fifty guys to the first round, and though these are have been told since they were 12 years old, you're the greatest player ever. And when you can break that person and that ego down and rebuild that person into someone who lives the process and someone who demands best of self for the greater good of all, that is a very hard thing to do, especially in today's college football. And so it's remarkable. And, Chris, one other thing that needs to be stated, too. I don't care how much he got paid over the past 15, 17 years. It wasn't enough. (laughs) Because what? Because Alabama football is the front porch of the university. And the financial boon that has come with out-of-state tuition for the University of Alabama over his tenure is such an astronomical number. His salary is a fraction of that number because young people want two things my friends they want hope and belonging and those kids in new jersey and connecticut and new york and wyoming and seattle who never would have considered alabama before turn on cbs or espn and they go damn i want to be a part of what that looks like mom and dad i want to go to tuscaloosa alabama and that's just the facts y'all that's not an opinion It's a fact.
6: Well, with all that being said, Marty, it's impossible to replace Nick Saban. He's so singular in who he is as a leader and the success he has that you can never replace him. But they do need to find someone to be the new steward of their football program. Who do you think they'll look towards to do that?
7: Well, first I'll say this. Uh, Anything that I say is speculation because I have not uh, spoken with anyone inside the program about uh, specifically Greg Byrne, the athletics director, whom I've been around a ton and and admire and respect greatly, and he'll make a great hire. But whomever it is, I don't admire them because it's going to have to be somebody who has extreme conviction in their culture. It has to be someone who is completely deaf and tuned out from outside noise beyond the Malmore complex because the noise around Alabama football is very loud. And that's when you're good. And so, look, I know that everybody is – I know the names everybody's saying. Uh, I love Dan Lanning because, like, he's one of my favorite people in sports. He, I was just at Oregon to do a huge college game day feature on Bo Nix ahead of the Pac-12 championship. And I walked in the door. I'd never been to Oregon before. And that man's culture was in every single corner and crevice and cafeteria and bathroom of that facility. He is very self confident. That is important. Um, I've heard the other names. I, I, don't, I don't, quite frankly, I don't know who they're going to go after, but I know what that person has to be. And that is what I just said. You have to be so confident in your way because following that, I don't envy. Um, I, look, I, a lot of people are looking at Kirby. A lot of people are looking at Dabo, Coach DeBoer, um, on and on. I don't know. I would be really surprised if it was Kirby, though. He's he's built Bama at his alma mater, and I, he loves the G, Georgia G. I don't see that even being a possibility. But, look, again, anything that I'm saying right now is just an opinion because I've not done any reporting on it yet.
3: Let's finish with this. Marty Smith, of course, he is back on ESPN Radio this Sunday morning, 7-8 to 8, 10 a. Eastern Time, Marty and McGee. There, there has been nobody better at hiring coaches in college football over the last 20 years than Nick Saban. If Nick Saban was in charge of this coaching search, who would he hire to replace him at Alabama? <laughs>
7: uh, well, quickly to that point, that's another part of his brilliance, guys. His, his staff turnover, he's had new coordinators every single year. Every year. And that shows you the power of his culture and his way because you're either his way or you're not there. Um, who would coach Saban higher? Um, I would imagine he would first look to someone that's in his tree, which of course is remarkable. Um, gosh, man, I, All these names are running through my mind, and it's those names I just said. You know, would it be Kirby, Sark, uh, Lanning? All those guys are from his tree. Like you look at his tree, it's it's stupid. Um, I do. I will say this: I don't know that answer, brother, but I do think this is going to be a rapid decision. I don't think this is something that will be belabored. I think we'll know pretty quick, and the new college football. I think has a major factor in this decision. I think Coach is tired of having to re-recruit his own roster. He is a man who has built a legacy and an an incomparable resume based on being a developmental program. And in today's college football where you have great players and you recruit great high school players, but you got to re-recruit them every year is exhausting. And so I feel certain that is a major part of this.
3: Marty, thank you so much for the time. Saturday, Marty and McGee, I may have said Sunday earlier, I apologize. Saturday, 7A to 10A Eastern Time with Marty Smith doing a phenomenal job, obviously giving us great insight on Nick Saban. We're going to take a quick break. Coming up, Matt Castle is going to join us, former Patriots quarterback, been around the league, obviously played for Belichick. This is, this is so fast and furious right now. Belichick's gone. Saban's gone. Carroll's gone. We're staying with you. It's on like on ESPN Radio.
2: To get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, dot com Slash, Unsportsmanlike.
1: This is the Unsportsmanlike Podcast on ESPN Radio. This is Unsportsmanlike with Chris Canty, Evan Cohen, and Michelle Smallman. Somebody who could shed some light on all of this is somebody that
3: served as the offensive coordinator for Bill Belichick for many years, Charlie Weiss. Is this it from him
4: coaching wise or do you no. see him coaching somewhere else in twenty twenty four? I don't I I don't see any way
5: he's got. You know, the fire is still there. You you don't think that people are gonna be lining up to get Bill
3: Belichick? This feels like I'm making stuff up right now. It feels, based on everything we just heard, like we are doing a day of reckless speculation. And we're just going to say, yeah, can you imagine if Pete Carroll got fired, if Nick Saban retired, and Bill Belichick's 24 years of the Patriots came to an end all within 24 hours? (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. But that is exactly what has happened here in just a remarkable 24-hour span.
6: You know what today is? Today's a 30 for 30 day. What if I told you... (laughs) That the greatest coach in NFL history and the greatest coach in college football history both left their jobs or walked away within a 24-hour span. I
3: don't remember the exact day, but June something, 1994, there is a 30-for-30 30 30 on that day. Now, that was because the OJ Chase were so a lot different, but the Knicks. No, no, but I'm saying the Knicks and the Rockets. <laughs> wow. The Rangers parade. Two Griffies played together, senior and junior, in the outfield at the same time. I think it was Arnold Palmer's last major. All of these things on that same day with no narrator. I think it was a brilliant 30-for-30 30 30 available on ESPN+. Plus. Go watch it. Today is that kind of day. Joining us now to discuss this more, a guy who is tied to two of these guys, he played for USC, he played for the Patriots, he works for NBC right now, it is Matt Castle, former NFL quarterback, who threw 33 passes in his college career for Pete Carroll, and then had a decade plus long NFL career, thanks to being drafted by Bill Belichick and the hard work from our next guest, Matt Castle. Matt, how did Belichick find you?
5: That's a great question, to be honest with you. No, it was crazy because the fact is I didn't get to go to the combine or anything like that because I hadn't started a game in college. And so there was a scout that came out to pro day, and I told my quarterback coach, Carl Smith at the time, I said, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to throw the ball around, see if I can go make this team. And I had a good pro day, and Matt Russell was the scout, the only scout there for the Patriots. And that's really what set it in motion. And I guess he must have gone back, reported they had their meetings. And then the day of the draft, I I had a lot of, a lot of. People coming to me and teams coming to me to talk to me about coming in as a free agent, but all of a sudden in the seventh round, it was late in the seventh round, and I get a phone call, and it's Bill Belichick on the other end, uh, Matt Castle, uh, there's Coach Belichick of the New England Patriots, and I'm sitting there, and I had to say, are you messing with me? Who who is this? And I said, no, this is Coach Belichick. Congratulations, you're New England Patriots, and that's really what set it in motion. He took a chance on a guy. Like myself, he probably didn't know much about me, but he trusted in the process and trusted in the personnel department and gave me an opportunity to come there, and I'll be forever grateful.
4: Matt, I'm curious from your perspective, in your four-year tenure under Bill Belichick with the Patriots, was there a moment where you saw a difference in terms of his greatness in his coaching acumen in comparison to other coaches that you had played for, other coaches that you had seen uh, across college and in the National Football League?
5: Day in and day out, uh, I'll be honest with you. It was amazing his ability to teach. He was a teacher first and foremost. Now, he did it in a different way at times, right? He might push you. He might challenge you. He's going to hold you accountable. But uh, and, I'll, uh, and the thing that I learned most uh, over those first few years is, when he thought that there was something that he needed to emphasize, that he needed to make a point to the quarterback room, I would remember doing a two-minute drill, and it was it was the end of a game, two-minute scenario, and he said, look, those quarters are going to back off because they don't want to give up the big play, but take that quick out, get us out of bounds, continue to save those timeouts. He would always talk about when to use the timeouts. And then also when we're starting the two-minute drill backed up, look, we got to get a first down first before we get going. But he was constantly talking about – situational football, and it was a master class for me being a young quarterback coming in. I, obviously, I had a great mentor, too, with Tom Brady being in the room every day and a guy that's done it at a really high level and won three Super Bowls. But Coach Belichick would come in and sit there on Friday meetings, and we'd sit down, and, and he would go through a quarterback tape, the do's, the don'ts for the weeks. But And then in addition to that, every Tuesday to get us ready for the week, we'd come in, and the three quarterbacks would sit down, and he'd go through the personnel of the opposing team. He'd go through the strengths, the weaknesses of each cornerback, safeties, linebackers that we fa- thought we could exploit with our with our halfback, Kevin Kevin Falk. And so you knew going into the week for planning you had such a confidence because you knew who we wanted to attack with particular routes. If we wanted to take a shot over the the top, you knew what matchup we wanted with a particular safety. And so you just were all – you always felt prepared or one step ahead in what we had to accomplish that week.
6: Matt, one of the biggest challenges a coach has is to implement a culture and an identity. And maybe in our lifetimes, we won't see one that had such buy-in like Bill Belichick did with the Patriot Way. You just talked about what a great educator he was and what a great football mind he was. But how was he able to get such buy-in from his players?
5: Well, I think first and foremost, he looked for a particular type of player. You had to be mentally tough to play to coach for Coach Belichick. There's no doubt about that. He's going to push you. He's going to push you beyond your own beliefs in yourself. He's going to challenge you to make you a better player each and every day. He's going to call you out in meetings. So you have to have thick skin. You've got to become callous to it. And it really started to weed out the week. And, and by that, I mean – Guys, Some guys couldn't take it, and they weren't there very long, and other guys that were able to sustain that and understand what that culture meant. It was about winning, first and foremost. We didn't care how we did it. We didn't care if it was by one point or by 30 points, but what we wanted to get done each and every week, he would challenge us with these different aspects of the game. He'd have his you know, keys to winning the game offensively, defensively, special teams. Whether we won or lost, he's going to come in, and that Monday meeting is always going to be with a fine-tooth comb. He's going to go through all the different plays. If, you, if we had mess-ups, and it didn't matter who it was, whether it was Tom Brady, whether it was Richard Seymour, Rodney Harrison, Mike Rabel, Teddy Bruschi, he'll call you out in a meeting. I remember one time he called out um, Randy Moss in front of the whole team. And everybody's sitting there like, whoa. And I don't think a lot of coaches take that take that approach. But what it did was it always kept us on our toes and always wanting more and pushing further.
3: We're talking with Matt Castle, former NFL quarterback, played four years for the Pats after playing for uh, Pete Carroll at USC. Joining us here on Like. Matt, you are literally the answer to the question of, can Belichick win without Brady? Like, you're the answer. <laughs> Explain to people why you probably would say Belichick can win without Brady.
5: You know, I, I was in a, uh, a an interesting situation that year. Obviously, it was week one when Tom Brady went down with a knee injury. It was actually just the end of the uh, first quarter. And I had been there for quite. I, that was my fourth season, and I felt confident that I knew the offense. At the same time, I had to go out and prove it, and I had to look to those guys in the huddle and make them believe. And the only way to do that was go out and execute on a on a weekly basis. And I'll tell you, early on, you know, they changed the game plan a little bit, and they asked, they came to me, and they said, "Hey, how do you feel about the two minute drill?" And I said, "I feel more comfortable three by one versus two by two. I just thought I could see the field better." see if they're bringing any pressure, and so they adapted to that. But I'll never forget, we got beat by San Diego, and there's rumblings around the league, as there would be if you're replacing the the, the league MVP from the year before who set the touchdown record with 50 touchdowns and Tom Brady. And I was sitting there going, you know, I'm, I, you can hear the noise, right? They're asking about veteran quarterbacks who you're going to bring in, who you're going to replace this guy Castle with. And he came up to me in the cafeteria, and he sat there, and he said, look, you're doing fine just you're getting better each and every week we're sticking with you you're our guy you have confidence in that don't look over your shoulder just go out there and play and that kind of set the tone for me in in that early part of that season because there was some up and downs we we had a really we would win one lose one win one lose one and when we came back and he said that that gave me confidence that that I didn't have to look over my shoulder that he he had my back. And then when Coach Belichick says he believes in you, especially with all the football that he sees, um, there, there's tremendous strength in that. And, and so from that point on, we kind of started to hit our stride a little bit and, and they opened up the offense because early on it was baby steps trying to make sure that I get comfortable. But as the, start, as the starts went on throughout the course of the season, um, we started to roll. And it's just unfortunate we didn't get into the playoffs that year because I think that we would have done a little bit of damage.
4: Matt, uh, before we let you go, uh, I guess some news that came out yesterday that got overshadowed this morning with what happened in Foxmore with Belichick was another one of your former coaches in Pete Carroll being ousted in Seattle. What are your your lasting thoughts about Pete Carroll and what his legacy will be with the Seattle Seahawks?
5: You know, he, he's an amazing man, an amazing coach, and he's one of those guys that – and one of those coaches, which is a rare form and a rare breed, I believe – that he tries to inspire and he does it through a positive attitude. He's big into the mental aspect of your game, but he's always a guy that can rally you with his personality because he's, he's uniquely special with how he brings energy. Even at his age, you see him on the sideline, he's hooping, he's hollering. And I'll tell you when he left USC, I I always felt like he wanted to go back to the NFL. And that was something that he wanted to accomplish because he wanted another another shot at it and to be able to go up to Seattle and accomplish what he did, win a Super Bowl. I know we all know that he was a play away from winning another Super Bowl, but he, he changed what that organization, that projection of that organization for so many years and I've got nothing but respect for Coach Carroll, who he is as a person, who he is as a man. I'll never forget I was two years retired and this was a few years back and it was in the middle of the off season. And he calls me out of the blue and he says, Matty, I'm just calling to check in on you, buddy. How's your family? Uh, we were telling stories about you the other day, but that's the type of person that Coach Carroll is. He cares about the individuals that have played for him. He cares about people you constantly saw him throughout his career, bringing in guys, giving them a second opportunity to come reignite their career, whether it was because of trouble or whether because people outcasted them. And that's, that's really the legacy that Pete Carroll brings to the table when I, all, when I ever think of Pete Carroll.
3: Matt, thank you so much for the time. Great insight all around on Belichick and Carroll. We appreciate it.
5: You got it. Have a great one.
3: All right, you too. There is Matt Castle joining us, former Patriots quarterback, decade plus in the league, and obviously went to USC. There's so much more to get to. We want to hear from you guys at 888-ESPN on one of the most significant days in the history of sports. Carroll, Saban, Belichick, all out. We're in. We're on Sportsmanlike on ESPN Radio.
1: Unsportsmanlike. This is Unsportsmanlike with Chris Canty, Evan Cohen, and Michelle Smallman. Per Adam Schefter, Bill Belichick and the New England
3: Patriots are expected to part ways today after a remarkable 24 seasons together, ending an unmatched run in NFL history. Wow!
6: Evan, I know you are as big of a Bill Belichick person as anybody out there. Wellness check, my friend. How you doing? It
3: sucks. Oh, I'm not crying. You're a little misty. I'm... Belichick, Saban, Carroll. I'm just going to keep saying those three names. Belichick, Saban, Carroll are no longer, as of noon Eastern time today, going to be in the positions they've been in for at least the last 14 years with all three of them. Just remarkable. We are on Sportsmanlike on ESPN Radio, ESPN2, ESPN. Here We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Michelle Smallman, Chris Canty, Evan Cohen with you. I have to ask this question. It pains me as a Pats fan, but when we think back to Belichick's Legacy And again, noon Eastern time, it is supposedly a mutual parting of ways today At noon Eastern the press conference with Kraft and Belichick, and who knows who else is going to be there speaks we don 't know all of that part of it just yet we're still working on information, obviously it was we'll, and by that I mean we'll read your chapter's tweets um, <laughs> that when we look back to his legacy in New England, it is to me ninety to ninety five percent dominance and greatness. Mm-hmm. Will there be people in your minds today, both of you, that will say, well, yeah, what about the Deflategate? What about Spygate?
4: Well, there are always going to be haters, just like the people that think that Michigan's national title was tainted from a couple of nights ago because of the advanced scouting that happened with Connor Stallions. But people that are in the industry know how— Wait, that hard. was this week? That was this week. It's crazy, right? <laughs> oh, my God. It's crazy how much has happened in a week. But I, I guess— there are people that are going to say that, but as somebody that competed against Bill Belichick coached teams with the Patriots, and I was with three different teams that had a chance to play against them. I will tell you, it, it wasn't about the Flaygate, gate. It wasn't about spy gate. They were just really good football teams that were fundamentally sound. And again, Belichick would always put his players in positions to do what they did well and avoid putting them in situations where their deficiencies would be exposed. Conversely, he would always do a good job of putting opponents in conflict. He always did that. like Whether it was by virtue of the talent level, the skill, or the scheme, he would find a way to put opponents in conflict, and that was with both his offense, his defense, and also in the third phase, which is special teams. Mm -hmm. He always found a way to be able to do that. The game management aspect is something that a lot of people can see, a lot of people can focus on, like taking the intentional safeties, the X's and O's, the schemes, but the part that is – masterful to me is being a game plan specific team across all three phases week in and week out. You never knew what version of the New England Patriots you were going to get when you played them. And that's because Bill Belichick had such a vast knowledge base, had so many answers because he had been a part of the National Football League for so long. You're talking about somebody that came into the league in 1975 with the then Baltimore Colts. Right. The, 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 think about that. So he he has seen a lot of football in the NFL, more than any current coach. And that is a part of his greatness. That's why I'm one to dismiss the different scandals, whether it was Spygate, whether it was the Flaygate. And I will say this, Smalls and Evan, I have been a part of teams that have done some of the same things that the New England Patriots have done and that have resulted in scandal. I have been on teams where we had practice tape of the opponent that we were playing in a given week. I have been on teams where the quarterbacks made sure those footballs went out there a certain way. And I don't know whether or not they were up to the specs or the, the, the bylaws of the NFL, but those quarterbacks make sure that the football is to their liking. And that that, that that's just what it is. Now, we always point to the New England Patriots, and we want to say shame on you for being the villain, but that's just a product of of how singular their success has been in comparison to everybody else. Nobody's checking for the Patriots stepping over the line if they are not winning championships, if they're not going to Super Bowls, if they're not going to conference championships seemingly every other year. But because they had that level of success, because the standard is so high, Mm -hmm. we want to nitpick as to why they're not great. We want to find reasons as to why we can dismiss the success that they have relative to everybody else.
6: All that may be true, but I think I'm in kind of a unique situation as a girl from St. Louis whose team at the time was directly impacted by Spygate. I think Deflategate is more Tom Brady. I think more people put that on Brady than they do Belichick. And while other teams might have been doing stuff like that, it was the Patriots that got caught. And it was the Rams Super Bowl where the tapes were burned and the Patriots beat the Rams after having filmed the walkthrough. And while Belichick and the New England Patriots went on to have a a tremendous amount of success and win other Super Bowls after that, it's still part of the conversation. Is it the headline? No. Is it a chapter of the book?
3: Yes. Bill Belichick once called Teddy Bruschi the perfect player when he retired. That perfect player was on Get Up this morning, our ESPN teammate Teddy Bruschi, and described what it was like to play for Coach Belichick.
8: I want you all to think of a wet towel, okay? You know a wet towel when it drips and it's and what you try to do is get all of that water out of that wet towel, and how do you do it? You take both of your hands and you wring that towel over and over and over again, okay? That towel is the player. Bill Belichick are the hands that wring the water out. And the water is the talent of that player. Bill Belichick could get every drop of physical ability, mental ability, football playing ability out of you somehow, some way. And it didn't didn't matter how he did it, it was going to happen. And if you were a player that wanted to win championships, that's exactly what you wanted. You wanted every ounce of ability to be wrung out of you somehow, some way, because the success of winning Super Bowls is what this game is all about. And that's what it was like to play for Bill Belichick.
3: You played for Parcells, you played for Coughlin, both part of the same kind of tree as Belichick. Did you ever feel like a wet towel? Yeah. <laughs> I, no, I'm I mean the, serious. The, the way that
4: Teddy Bruski described yeah. it
3: is the way that it went down with the Like Bill I didn't know I had this in me. No doubt. And he got every part of that. Just like
4: the Parcells, Tom Coughlin, the same way. Bill Belichick, the same way. It's not surprising.
3: We are
1: Unsportsmanlike on a crazy day on ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. You can listen to Unsportsmanlike live weekdays from 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. You can also watch on ESPN2 and on ESPNU. Unsportsmanlike with Evan Canty and Michelle.